Welcome to Future Charlotte, the podcast where we talk to the people who are shaping the future of our city. I'm your host, Eli Portillo. Charlotte sometimes has a reputation as a city that doesn't have the architectural chops of some of our larger cousins. I think sometimes we are a little uh, insecure even maybe about our place as a uh, growing, fast-changing, kind of quote-unquote New South City. But a new program is meant to celebrate some of the great design we have going on, lift up some of the excellent projects that are going on in Charlotte right now, and to really highlight the good work in our city and the people behind that work. We're joined today by former Charlotte mayor, trailblazer, and architect Harvey Gant, Damon Hemmerdinger, the co-president of Atco Properties, the developer behind the Camp North End project, and Deb Ryan, a professor at UNC Charlotte's College of Arts and Architecture. Thank you all for joining. Happy to be here. So Deb, let's start with you. Kind of set the table for us. Tell me about the Urban Design Awards, the Urbies. Full disclosure, that's a little bit of a setup question. I was on the uh, jury for that, so I know about it, but tell everyone else. Well, I had the privilege of serving as the chair of the jury and um, they, the, the, um, the Irbys really began uh, with uh, another juror by the name of Mary Newsom. When she was with the Charlotte Observer, she wrote about good and bad urban design projects in the city of Charlotte, and she named them the Irbys. And so we really just built on what she had developed, I think, probably about 20 years ago. Maybe it wasn't that long, but, but something like that. And so what we really wanted to do with the Irbys was to amplify the conversation about what good urban design is. Uh, that conversation had been happening um, in the urban design program at UNCC and with the urban design staff with the city and lots of us urban designers. But we weren't sure if that was really that conversation was really getting out into the public realm. And so that was what the Irbys were all about, is to begin to have a more broad-based conversation about what makes good urban design and then, in fact, what makes for good cities. So you and I are uh, on the jury here. Our two guests today are both winners, so congratulations. Uh, this podcast will be going out after that announcement. But let's start with you, um, former Mayor Gant. Can I call you Harvey? Please do. All right. I know I, I I can, but still, you know, when you're when you're talking to Harvey Gant, I feel like yeah. I should ask first. So you've been here for a long time designing in this city, helping really set the tone and both design important projects and elevate Charlotte's status. That's what your award reflects. Tell me a little bit about where we are now design wise versus when you came to Charlotte? What are some big changes you've seen? What are some encouraging things you've seen? Oh my gosh, Eli, that's a, that's a huge topic to cover. But let me just, let me put it this way. First of all, I, I'm not sure why I won the Irby Award, but thank you all for honoring me in such a way. Um, I've always wondered what urban, what really good urban design was. And uh, forced my architects and planners who worked for me for the 40 some odd years. Uh, practice to keep asking the question, what's make, what makes for a good city? What makes for creating memorable spaces that people can enjoy? Um, and 
what 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 puts and makes us special. Now, I have to recognize the fact that the city that we see today is considerably different from the city, obviously, uh, that I was mayor of some 30 years ago. I think somebody told me that the population now, uh, well, we're about four or five times as big as we were back then when we were a city of about 300,000 people. Um, even then, we used to worry about how well we could get along and manage ourselves in a space that was, at that time for us, rather dense. Lots of people, uh, maybe not as much uh, people as we have today, but we still, I always said urban places, cities are places where we manage a way for us to get along living very close together. Uh, and, and one of the things that defines it is whether or not you can find space for housing, for work, for recreation, and do it in such a way that it makes for uh, a better, I uh, use this word over and over, quality of life. Well, we kind of enjoy being there. We don't mind rubbing shoulders with other folks in the city. We, we see that as, as, uh, as good, as exciting. Uh, and so um, all along, I felt that if we continued to use Charlotte as an urban laboratory, not too big that it can't address its problems of traffic and pollution and where to put affordable housing, we could solve a lot of the big questions that city were beginning to ask. And a lot of it I thought could be done. I mean, I, I, I felt the architects and planners could do a lot to address the issues we had. It wasn't necessarily a matter of how much wealth the city had, but how well it used its resources uh, and blended that with, with those who were developing projects to make for an interesting place to live. If I worry about anything right now, I'm maybe running on too long with this, but if I, running, if I, if I worry about anything right now, it is that we might choke on the wonderful growth that we've had over these years. Uh, we could literally, literally choke. And I'm talking about air quality, um, water quality, the ability to move um, throughout the city and get to where we need to go, the ability to increase the activity sphere for people who, who have been immobile or generally having uh, not a wide range of places they could go to access education and jobs. So urban design to me is creating a like a livable place that people feel good about being in. So uh, Damon, you're one of the people who I think is creating one of the most uh, interesting spaces that we have right now in Charlotte and really um, a project that if you haven't been there, you need to check it out immediately. Tell me what you're doing at Camp North and what's it, for people who aren't familiar with it, just kind of what's the status of it right now. And um, what are you doing there that you've found really effective to help create a place in, you know, somewhere that was really um, not a place at all for most people, unless you happen to work in the distribution center uh, that used to, to operate there or remembered it as, a, you know, a missile factory from back in the 60s? 
Sure. Uh, well, first, thanks for having me today. And thank you, uh, Deb and Eli and the rest of the jury for honoring Camp North End and the team uh, of people involved in bringing it to life with an Irby. I'm very excited about that. I think my uh, answer, Eli, to this question builds on what Mayor Gamp was just talking about, that, that cities are a place for people to live their lives and to encounter each other. And I think um, one of the uh, one of the reasons that we've been able to create a place at Kent North End um, has been a focus on, or, or um, has been because we always focus on the people uh, and the experience that they'll have when they come uh, to see us. So the buildings are a space within which people work or live or eat dinner or do something. And the, the streets and spaces in between the buildings are similarly Yes, they're a place for cars to move, or yes, they're a place for trees to grow, but really they're a place for people to encounter each other, uh, whether they're old friends or you know, even a family walking together uh, from here to there, or uh, neighbors and strangers who don't know each other having reasons to bump uh, into each other. Skip past your second question, which was, what is Camp North End? So let me just back up and uh, answer that. Uh, Camp North End is uh, located about a mile northwest of uh, Uptown, um, and it is a 76-acre site first developed in 1924 by Henry Ford, uh, and he built a large factory building, uh, and then uh, further built out by the U.S. Army during World War II as a quartermaster depot, and then, as you mentioned, became a missile production factory during the Cold War. Um, it then kind of hibernated for several years uh, behind barbed wire as a Rite Aid Regional Distribution Center and uh, some uh, partly vacant and partly just uh, unnoticed industrial space, um, hiding in plain sight. And as you mentioned, Eli, most people in Charlotte didn't know what was there uh, in this large area contained between Statesville Avenue and North Graham Street. So we are, uh, in the middle of what we call our second phase of development now. Uh, we started out with what we call phase zero, uh, which was activating the area near the old water tower uh, into a district we call the boiler yard uh, district. If you have been, you'd find uh, Hex Coffee, you would find uh, Explicit Salon, you'd find Noted Company Stores uh, Canteen, uh, and a place where we have events Fridays uh, and throughout the weekends during most of the year. Um, phase one was building out the Mount District, uh, which is in the middle of the site. And if you've been to Free Range Brewing's Bar or uh, Lee and Louise or Pop Bar, uh, Wentworth and Fenn, uh, Dave and Butcher, that part of the site we call the Mount. And in phase one, we also built uh, or renovated the buildings along North Graham Street, 1701 and 1801 North Graham. And now in phase two, we're renovating the buildings in between uh, those areas um, into what would be 201 Camp Road, more office and retail like we just finished, uh, and a parking garage and coming down the road, uh, the first multifamily uh, at Camp North End. So both of you mentioned something that I think is really basic and, you know, in some sense even sounds kind of no duh, but I think we maybe have lost sight of sometimes, which is 
designing cities for people and by inference, not for cars, not for, you know, um, not for high rise buildings, whatever else it might be. Do you think that, you know, that's something we've really uh, maybe gotten better at in Charlotte, designing for people and and being conscious of that? Because when I first heard that, you know, back when I was a, a reporter covering development, some, you know, it was like a light bulb moment for me. Like I looked around and just saw so many places that were not designed for people that I never would have thought of before. It's an interesting, interesting way you put that, Eli. I... I'm trying to still decide. I know the city is much more dense than it used to be, and that that's a that's a that's an evolution that we had to expect to occur. For every groundbreaking, for every new set of jobs coming into Charlotte, for all the new jobs being created by existing and new companies, they're they're manned by people who have to live somewhere, and uh, and 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 developers are going to react to that environment because they have a great deal of expectation that they're gonna do good business. And then there are rules about how tall you can build wood buildings. So we see across the city, a series of five-story buildings wrapped uh, with apartments wrapped around uh, house, I mean, parking. Uh, and you know, the first two or three of those, you say interesting. When you see 10, 12, 15 or 20, and they all look, copycat you you say well we could have we could do some more things uh, how do the buildings meet the street how how the sidewalks relating to activities that uh, people care about like the coffee shop that people can get a cup of coffee in or the dry cleaners that you can drop some clothes off and all the other kinds of commercial spaces that ought to be funding the street and making it come alive uh, they're not there. Or the open space. We, we, we talk about those things all the time. But the truth of the matter is, I'm not convinced that developers will do this, will make for more interesting spaces without some of the new ordinances we have that require them to build other things other than the, the thing that they're interested in, whether it's an office building or whether it's housing uh, for, uh, for citizens. So we, 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 in my opinion, have done some good things. North End is a good example of adaptive reuse that Damon's talking about. But in other places, we've not been as imaginative as we could. But I see good signs. I see triplexes and duplexes and even some five-story and high-rise buildings that are beginning to understand the importance of the street uh, the relationship to transportation, uh, uh, green space and other kinds of things are gradually creeping, creeping into play. But uh, for a while there, and, and, and still there are too many cookie cutter looking buildings that, that uh, maximizing the profits to the developer without always giving due credence to the people who might be occupying those spaces. But I sometimes think that a little bit of push, a little bit of push from the designers, from the regulators, from the planners, uh, from the zoning ordinances, uh, could help us do things that we didn't think uh, was, was possible. Uh, 
And then the other, the other argument I'm saying is as the city grows and we make it better, who are we making it better for? Uh, there is a lot of discussion right now that intrigues me about gentrification or the moving out of, of uh, people at the bottom of the economic ladder, uh, not being able to enjoy it. How can we make those spaces memorable and creative and enjoyable? Uh, how do we go about building affordable housing without building reservations of, of uh, poor people all living in the same place? Uh, those are tougher, maybe social questions that get beyond the physical design aspects of a city, but they're important. And then finally, I will say, you know, we love to talk, I love to talk about good design. And then I, you know, I think about places uh, that I find interesting in cities that we all admire, San Francisco, New York, etc. And it occurred to me how interesting it is that the design, 95% of the design is just basically average, but what has been created is what occurs at the street level. If you look up in New York and you're visiting Union Square, for example, you love the space and the activity that's generated there. The architecture is not all that significant, but what's been created is a room, an outdoor room where people can engage in activities, where there's open space, where there are all kinds of places to get an ice cream cone, cup of coffee, uh, buy a jacket, a hat or whatever. And I think it creates memory. It keep, creates something that's alive and meaningful. I think, I think sometimes we place too much credence on the buildings than what the combination of buildings can do to create a space, a place that people enjoy being in. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna pick up on what Harvey's saying there um, because first of all, he's speaking to my tribe since I'm a landscape architect. So, you know, music to my ears. But just this short little anecdote, um, I was driving yesterday and evidently I pulled out in front of somebody and he had to tap his brake. And so he flipped me off. And I thought, you know, um, there's some sense that people have that they have the right to drive through the city as quickly as possible and never tapping their brake for any reason. And it's that sort of idea, we're the good road state here in North Carolina, so we've had a long history of this. It's that idea that we should be able to move as efficiently as possible in a car, which has really been destructive to our urban environment. Traffic engineers have been really great in terms of creating that efficiency, but the um, reaction or the impact of that efficiency is the degradation of the pedestrian environment. And so, you know, when we talk about great urban design, we can't overestimate the importance of the street. And in fact, three of the Irbys went to great street design, different kinds of street design, because we wanted to draw attention to that. And I think so many times we think about a street as a, as a ribbon of asphalt, right? That's just meant to carry cars, when in fact it is the place where people live their lives. It's the most significant open space in any city. And the one um, question I always ask my students when they first come into urban design, I say, okay, tell me what your, one of your favorite cities is. Um, and then I ask them why, and never in my 30 years of teaching has anyone ever said, because you can drive through that city really quickly. And yet here in Charlotte, from a rezoning perspective, then, you know, rather than talking about the quality of space 
or the quality of life of pedestrians, we still sometimes talk about the efficiency of moving your car through that space as far more important than anything else. And so the new rules that, um, or the new regulations with the new zoning ordinance is uh, that, that Harvey referred to, I think is a real sea changer in beginning to think more holistically of the experience outside of the automobile to create a really memorable place. And Damon, as uh, the resident New Yorker here, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on on this idea as well, um, especially that kind of concept of these don't all have to be trophy buildings. They have to work together and be grouped in a way that makes sense and provide space for people to do things. You know, pretty simple concepts, but not necessarily the way we always think of, of architecture or design. Um, I think that's right. I think... Um... Uh, well, to start, I think rules do matter a lot. And I think the regulatory environment uh, within which people build buildings and create places um, is tremendously important. And I think um, the move towards a new UDO is, is the right direction. Um, I hope it is, um, and I hope as part of that process, um, Charlotte, as a community, realizes that uh, it deserves great outcomes, even if that means it's going to cost a little bit more to get something done. And other cities, Austin, New York, uh, you know, so on, impose requirements uh, that, that create cost. And maybe Charlotte needed to be the lowest cost place in order to get from where it used to be to where it is now, but I don't actually think it needs to be the lowest cost environment to keep um, moving things forward. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that, Damon. Yeah, I think it, I think Charlotte deserves nice things and nice things require investment and they require uh, um, that the whole set of players in the built environment uh, are all working together to create uh, strong urban environments. Um, uh, I think often about how much of New York City, you know, if you took a picture of Soho and brought that to Charlotte and said, "Could we? can you build that here? The answer is no, you can't build that here because just to pick one of my pet peeves issues, Charlotte would want a 16 foot setback from back of sidewalk to the front of the building. And that's not, a rule that allows urban spaces to be created. Yeah, as uh, as someone who's working, you know, to repurpose older space built in a different time with different sets of regulations and, you know, trying to really, I think, fit together the past and the present in a changing city, in a changing regulatory environment, what have you encountered on the regulatory side that's, um, you know, either hindered or not been as helpful as it should? Uh, and what would you change, you know, to help bring that urbanism and that urban outlook to the regulatory side? Uh, the first thing I would change is I would have the city of Charlotte take over every state road that runs within the city limits. Um, so that there's at least a chance of having a more urban uh, framework about turning radiuses and crosswalks and 
so on and so forth. Because all those choices are based on um, you know, the values that get set by the local government. We've encountered an approach to the interpretation of the building codes that's been honestly challenging for us. Um, I think there's an, a, the uh, attitude that I've seen starts from a place of, does the code allow that? That's kind of the Charlotte mindset I've encountered. Other communities really have a, that I've worked in have a more holistic approach that kind of looks at, does, is this a good idea and is it prohibited by something in the code? And it, there's a more flexible framework uh, that's possible that would allow for uh, a built environment that's more varied from project to project than, than what we find. I, I, I actually think that that Unified Development Ordinance that we're going to pass in about a year or so, maybe, um, but I have a great deal of flexibility in it. Uh, a great deal more of uh, maybe even a carrot and stick approach. If you do certain kinds of things we'd love for you to do, you can do this over here. Um, as opposed to something that's sort of set in concrete once it's passed. Um, with, with the whole idea, is it making it a better place for people to live uh, and having the developers demonstrate that that could be the case, but also slapping down those who might do something that makes no sense. When you do ask the question to me, uh, what is it we can do to make the city even better from an urban design standpoint? The car takes up a huge amount of space. It really does. Um, but in a city that's so auto-centric in its movement capabilities, um, roads and spaces to store cars and to move cars eats up a huge amount of space in our city. But it's only, it only can get better when we provide alternative ways for people to move in the city. And I guess I'm getting, using this as a way to leak in the, the idea that last year I spent a lot of time talking to people about building a transformational mobility network that starts with the sidewalk, goes to buses, goes to bus rapid transit, goes to, to uh, light rail, to commuter rail, doing the whole nine yards, and then asking the citizens of, of this community, if we want a better environment, if we want more mobility, it's going to cost us a little something. You can't get it for nothing. It's going to cost you some, but the effect will be making people more mobile on different modes of transit which I think helps the region, the city, small towns. Uh, if we could put a sidewalk everywhere there's a house and put them within 10 minutes of accessing some form of transit other than the automobile, I think that will be transformational. And will may, may even over the long haul allow developers to bargain, but rather than building uh, two parking spaces for every 200 square feet or whatever it is, you, you're allowed to, to reduce that. And I think that would be in itself transformational if we could cut down on the number of car spaces. Or if people felt that if I go to the center city, if I go to uptown Charlotte, there are not that many 
places to park, but I can get there and I can get there efficiently um, by bus, transit or whatever. Uh, then they don't have a need to depend on the car nearly that much. But right now the automobile is hurting us and hurting us in a real way. I think, I think that, you know, the moral of that story is really all about choice. So, um, you know, we don't want to have to be dependent on a car if we don't want to be. And so, you know, people will sometimes object to the density that we try to push in terms of urban design, not realizing, of course, that, that density is what underlays all the vitality that we get in urban spaces. And so I think, I think this notion of, um, of having choices is really important, especially when you look at, I don't know, it's something like 80%, right, Harvey, 80% of all of Charlotte is zoned single family. And so we're not trying to change all of that. We're just trying to provide a choice to that. For some reason, people are fearful just of the idea. I think they're fearful of change when it seems like maybe what they should do is embrace choice, which is what underlies all of this. And I did want to uh, mention, you know, the the burbs. Maybe next year we'll have a Burbies Award for best suburbs. I don't know. <laughs> I think a lot of uh, the urban design awards sensibly celebrate um, urban places. But as you mentioned, Deb, a lot of Charlotte, uh, majority of the land area is zoned single family, is uh, is zoned for suburban development. Uh, that's where I live. And I had a lot of heartburn when I moved here from Dilworth last year because I was moving from a walkable area to a much more car dependent area. But in the year and a half or so since I've been out in um, in South Charlotte, I've come to think that a lot of our suburban neighborhoods are a lot closer to being connected, more walkable, more uh, interesting and, and person-centered places than we might think in our, um, you know, kind of in our blinkered view. Uh, I'm just curious, you know, what you all think about that and What's your take on, you know, some changes we could make that will help our suburbs become more livable, uh, connected, human-friendly places? Um, I, you know, I think that um, the difference between an urban and suburban um, place is a, a question of um, grain and how fine-grained it is. So in suburbia, you know, you get housing here, the school here, the, the, um, um, office here. So it's not, it's not inter, interwoven like it is in the city. And that's what makes walking difficult because of how far spread, spread out things are. But what you see increasingly happening in the suburbs is the lessening, or, or maybe I should say the increasing of that grain so that things are getting much more closely woven together like in town centers which are really just a, an attempt to recreate Main Street out in the burbs somewhere, right? And so you're getting that. And, and uh, David, it was interesting to hear that you were talking about putting housing in at Camp North End. I didn't know about that. So that's an exciting addition because, you know, what we're trying to do in urban environments is to mix together all the different land uses. I remember when I first moved to Charlotte 35 years ago and 
And um, folks lived in Fourth Ward, but not so, so much in the rest of the city. And so Uptown was like an office park. And so not a particularly interesting place, especially for the people who want to ha go have lunch somewhere. And so if you think about that model and you think about what we're doing to office parks today, like out in University City, what's happening in the burbs is that we're putting housing into office parks. And then, of course, housing leads retail. So eventually we'll start getting other land uses in there as well. And so I think that you know, what's really happening in the suburbs to make things change is, is the, um, um, the, the, um, uh, the addition of land uses other than the dominant one that's there. And then that begins to be an exciting improvement, I think. Well, that's when we start, if you really think about that, Deb, and I, I, I agree with you, we, we need to be a little bit more, I don't remember quite the term you used, but there needs to be a little bit more friction in the suburbs uh, when I go to visit my friends who live in the burbs and enjoy their beautiful backyards and um, the beautiful greenery, the trees, uh, what occurs to me, I, I always ask myself what the difference is between living downtown in Fourth Ward and maybe my friends, most of whom who live in the suburbs. Uh, and it is that it's quieter uh, and uh, you may have more, more room to reflect but people aren't as close to each other. And therefore, I think you lose a little something. Uh, and the way to, to change some of that is the very thing that was very resistant in the comprehensive, the 2040 comprehensive plan. If we, if we seek to make single family housing less pure and add other levels of density for housing, People think we're getting rid of the sacred cow of, of development, which is the single family house. Uh, I don't think it necessarily has to be the case. And I see some very interesting things happening with increasing the density in single family areas that make them livelier. And I think you've already pointed out that perhaps shopping centers ought not to be pure shopping centers. They ought to be office, they ought to be other kinds of things. And then the way we move in those areas is also important. Although I think the biggest generator of traffic is gonna be the automobile for most, most suburban areas uh, for the time being. I don't foresee a day when 90% of the, the movement in, in, in those neighborhoods and beyond will not be automobiles in, in some way, shape or form maybe electric automobiles, but they will be, they will be there for a while. Now we would have to get our suburbs a lot more dense uh, before that changes. Well, as we come towards the end of our time here, I wanted to ask each of you, you know, if you could change one thing, if you were not mayor of Charlotte, because Harvey's been mayor of Charlotte, but if you were, uh, you know, king of Charlotte, you could change anything to encourage a more urban city, what would you change and why? Um, I'll jump in here and say that um, Damon sort of already took mine when he said, you know, local control of state highways. I think that um, just um, redefining what, what streets are for in the city um, and, and getting people comfortable with that, I think was um, where I might start. Um, I think that that would be transformational. Um, I'm 
I already gave my best answer, which is about state roads, but I'm going to give another uh, thing I would change. Um, I would have a, some kind of some. I would have a different system for uh, through which the utilities have to come up with the rules surrounding their infrastructure. Um, at the moment, it seems to me in Charlotte and North Carolina, they get to write down whatever they want, and there's not a there's never a dialogue about whether that setback is really required, whether that choice that is easiest for the utility or maybe the safest or the best uh, is actually worth its cost. I want to change my answer. A part of this comes from me serving on planning commission for seven years. And I think one of the things that I want to change is people's fear. And I think perhaps we do that through education. There's just a, a, a fear of change. I know every rezoning that came through, people are concerned about um, three things. You know, they're concerned about traffic, they're concerned about overcrowding, and they're considered about, they're worried about land values, the land value of their home. Um, and that's gonna, that's gonna come up just about every single time. And what they, what they don't understand, of course, is that a mix of land uses increases their land value and that there are alternatives to traffic. And I'm not quite sure why they feel like they can create traffic, but the next folks coming behind them, their traffic is not the kind of traffic that they want. And that what I'd really like to do in terms of urban design, and perhaps this is what the Irbys are about, is to change the conversation about growth not in terms of the negative impacts, but rather the positive possibilities that urban growth brings. And I, I, I think that we are not quite at that place yet where we're talking about the good things that come from growth as opposed to the negative impacts. If, if I could build on that for a second, I think one of the reasons that people perceive growth to be a negative is that I think often those people experience their community only in the bubble that is their home, their car, and then their destination. And because we live in a segregated society, at their home and at their destination, they're often primarily spending time with people who have similar worldviews to their own, probably. Um, and I think when you get into a a more urban lifestyle, there starts to become a self, uh, you know, flywheel of change where you get to, you actually get to experience the positive sides of growth and density. If your only encounter with other people is that they're traffic, then of course you don't want more other people. But if you get to see other people as people watching a band with you on a Friday night while you drink a glass of water or a beer, or people who are patronizing yet another store in your neighborhood that brings you joy uh, or institutions and businesses and so on. That's how people get to enjoy the upside of density and growth. And I think that is part of what's a key to unlocking um, or to reducing some of the resistance Deb, that you just talked about. And you know, that's what some of North End is so well known for is the things that are done there are intentionally done, my understanding of intentionally done to bring different folks to, together who might not necessarily rub shoulders. Let me, let me add that I, I, I was hesitant when this question was asked, but 
the two of you have just uh, struck a chord with me in terms of maybe what I'd like to see change. I'd like to see community, city, or governmental leaders and developers work a little bit more closely to reduce the number of silos we have in cities today. Uh, and that addresses some social issues that I'm very concerned about. And I alluded to a couple of them. Uh, the fear that the African-American community has about gentrification and the fact that they'll lose their ability to even afford housing uh, is, is real out there. Uh, the, the fear that they don't have access to all the necessary resources that might allow their mobility, economically, socially, and otherwise, to occur. Can the city do anything about that? The times that I've enjoyed my city most are when we have festivals in the center of the city. There used to be something called Spring Fest that used to occur maybe 20, 25 years ago. And what was amazing about it, and I didn't realize it until the experience was over, was that all kinds of people showed up. I might see the CEO of a bank walking his family through looking at the exhibits alongside someone who came from Earl Village uh, doing whatever they do and enjoying. And we didn't know why we were enjoying the excitement, but it was seeing all these different kinds of people that make up our city. Uh, when I ran for mayor the first time, I talked about equitable distribution of resources in a way that people living on the west side would feel good about their potential for moving up as people who supposedly had already reached the top on the southeastern side had done. But people have to believe that they can break the silos that they find themselves in. And one of the ways to do that is for them to believe that the city cares about them that developers care about them, that we are really serious about building an environment where people are coming together. Uh, so I have a problem sometimes with Damon, developers who fear putting in a small amount of affordable housing into their bigger, uh, bigger housing developments, but they don't recognize that by doing so, in the long haul, we build a better city. And the people who are there are not losing property values as greatly as they suspect they are. Um, some years ago, we did scattered site public housing. And I can still go back to some of those areas where people argue, if you put that in my neighborhood, the value of my property is gonna go way down. And it didn't, never does. I mean, but it's in the minds of so many of our constituents. And I think we've got to do a job of coming together on that. Both the developers who build the community, the people who live in it, and the government that sets the regulations. We can get them working together. We'll move, remove these silos that are still out there. Why do we enjoy living in an environment where, well, let me tell you something. Let me, let me make it personal. I live in Fourth Ward. I remember when it was a bunch of old Victorian houses that had become flop houses in some cases, boarding houses and whatever. And we saw the restoration of that. That was a combination of government, uh, citizens who didn't fear moving into those environments and took chances, and the developers who built it. 
And I sit on my front porch today. I think front porches are so important in the design of houses, Deb. And I watch a parade of, of citizens walking the streets with their dogs, people from the low income elderly group walking the street and how we all get to know each other's as neighbors by their first names. And there's something delightful about living there that makes life exciting. And the answer is people are moving out of their silos in a, in a way that excites the human spirit in a real way. Well, maybe that can be one of the takeaways from the Urban Design Awards, the Urbies, as we move forward is uh, being a little bit more courageous and being a little bit more willing to take chances and get out of our silos as a city and as individuals. I just want to thank our guests again today. We've got Harvey Gant, former mayor of Charlotte and architect, uh, Damon Hemmerdinger, co-president of Atco Properties, developer behind Camp North End, and Professor Deb Ryan of the College of Arts and Architecture at UNC Charlotte. Thank you all for joining, and I uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us on the Future Charlotte podcast, produced by me, Eli Portillo, at the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you like the show, please rate it, share it with your friends, and keep looking to the future, Charlotte.